Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Again, I want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our McKinney campus, those of you at our Hazlitt campus, those of you watching online, maybe here in additional seating at Keller, or maybe you're watching online later. Would you join me in welcoming all those joining in with us? Finishing up this Let's Talk Family series, if you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go back. We've been talking about all the different ways that we have challenges and what God says to help us with our families. If you've never really thought about it, we we all come into the world in a family we don't choose. There are challenges, there are struggles, there are things that we work through. And then most of us decide to build a family and we're thinking about how will I make it different and what will I do? And there are so many inputs and voices that have opinions on what family should be and what it should look like. But throughout the series, we've gone back to his word and asked God, God, what do you say about the family? Because believe it or not, he has so much to say about the family. Family is his idea. You say, how long does it take in the Bible before he starts talking about family? The very first chapter. He gives us insight and input and thoughts about what it means to be a family. And I know it's something that we all care about, we all want help with, and as a church family, we're here to help you. You know, you've probably heard us talk about how this summer we have things for kids of all ages, and not just kids, but but adults too, is we try to help you build and grow in whatever season your kiddos might be, or grandkids, or or whatever that looks like in your family. We have things for our elementary kids, and our our preteens, and then our middle schoolers, and, and the high schoolers. I do want to take a moment and say, you know, so much concern about this next generation. You know, and I get it, there are challenges. These young people are facing challenges that maybe if you're in the same age or close to the same age as me, that we didn't face. The challenges of technology, the challenges of access to information, the challenges of global pandemics and fears about our future and, and changing cultural norms and all these things are happening and as a parent, a lot of times what you think is, well if I could just shelter them away from all of the dangerous inputs that are out there, but really that's a bad long-term strategy. Of course you should protect them and watch over them. But really, change in a young person's life doesn't happen from the outside in. Lasting change really only happens from the inside out, and that's why we create moments where young people can hear from God. Not just hear a moral code where there's value in that, not just hear about principles, there's value in that, but they themselves have a moment with Jesus that'll change them forever. That's why we prioritize taking them away and taking away their phones and being like, okay, go for a walk in nature, listen, worship. God's trying to get your attention and the amazing thing is, as you saw in the video, he does. And people from different backgrounds and different faiths and different ethnicities coming to meet Jesus as a young person and having their lives changed forever. I encourage you, if you know a young person, if you have one of those in your home, prioritize, do what it takes to get them there because what you've been praying for happens in these moments when we get them away. I'd also say it happens for all of us. This is our strategy as a church family. We try to create moments for you and God. That's why we start the year with prepare. That's why many of you are getting ready to jump in for freedom over the summer because just like anyone, We change when God changes our heart, which really brings us back to the family. 
The hope for any family is God moving in the hearts of the people in that home, not just traditions, not just values, but heart change with every member of the family. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter six. It's gonna take me a minute to get there. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. We'll put it on the screen. You'll be able to see it. I'm gonna read it to you. But as we've been talking about family, I know in my family and probably in yours, this is a busy time of the year for families. We got all kinds of things going on. School is ending, right? Maybe you have a graduate. I have a graduate in my house. We're having like 47 parties. I don't think we had that many parties. You know, graduation is one of those things that makes you feel old. Remember, because you spend like 10, 12 years looking forward to that day. Remember, it seems like it's forever in the future. And when you're a kid, you think, graduates, they're so old. I wonder if I'll ever make it to be that old. Now you get to this point, and you're like, they're babies. Like we're letting them off into the world and and it's happening so fast. And so I know maybe you have family vacation coming up. Maybe you've been to a wedding, but whatever it is, this is a busy time. And when things are busy, we tend to default to just survival mode. I don't know if that's happened in your family, but it's just kind of like, okay, we'll fix this issue later. Right now, we just got to get through our schedule. And especially when you add more responsibility to your home. I don't know why, but we did this recently. We adopted another toddler into our home. He's making things challenging and difficult. I thought I'd show him to you. <laughs> yep, that's him. That's Winston. And yeah, he's cute. Notice, of course, like you guys, like, oh, you can see everybody say, oh, you never see, like, what's better, dogs or cats? You ever see anybody put a picture of a cat up there? No. <laughs> cats won't let you take pictures. They scratch you if you get the camera out. But a dog, you know, they need help, they need coaching, they need discipline, but at least they love you and they like you and they're sometimes fun to have around, at least if they're little. Anyways, that's what's happening in our home, but, but you think about, okay, Jed, why is this important? Well, no one can build us up like family and no one can tear us down like family. We care the most about those who know us the best. I saw in a recent study, 36% of families don't believe they can tell each other how they really feel. They don't think that it's safe. They don't think that the other person would listen. They don't think that they would be acknowledged. They think that it would be used against them. And the truth is, as human beings, we do this thing where when we see someone else's family, we compare their family with our family. Especially when you come to a place like church, you come to church and maybe, just maybe, you're the only family that on the way into church, in the car, you had a strong disagreement. And you come into an environment and you look around and you think everybody else has this thing figured out. But if anybody knew what was really going on at our house, trust me, no one is surprised. Families have challenges. And, and the person who's least surprised is God. You know, you come to church, you think, well, if God knew, God, trust me, he knows exactly what's happening in your family. But he's not over there going like, man, I can't believe the way that they're talking to each other in church on the way to the holy place, in the car on the way to the holy He's not doing that. You're like, Jed, how do you know? Well, all you have to do is look in the Bible. There are jacked up families in the Bible. In fact, that's the only kind of family that's in the Bible. They're all jacked up. You're like, Jed, how do you know? Well, let's just look at some family problems in the Bible. Very first couple, Adam and Eve. Now think about Adam and Eve. It's just the two of them and God. You ever thought like, man, if it was just my my spouse and I and God, we could work this thing out. Eve didn't have to worry that Adam went to work and his coworkers were like, Adam, you're so smart, you're good at everything you do, you're amazing, and then he would come home and be like, Eve, everybody at work gets me, you don't, right? Like, Eve wasn't at home doom scrolling online and looking up old flames from, on Facebook, right? It was just them. 
And even though it was just them, it didn't take very long, and they got sideways and messed it up, and their families jacked up, and you think, well, maybe they were just had problems. Maybe they were really good parents. Oh, really? Let's think about the two, first two siblings ever, Cain and Abel. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the story, Cain murders his brother Abel. That's a one-for-one one murder rate. <laughs> think about your family. You're doing really good. Right, like you, you're like, man, I thought we were terrible. We're pretty good, we're way better than Adam and Eve. What'd you learn at church today? I'm a better parent than Adam and Eve. You are. That's tough, right? And then you think about, well, who, who else is in there? Well, there's Abraham and Sarah, and, and they had a lot of marriage challenges, and they didn't even have kids. They had all kinds of problems. They wanted to have kids, they couldn't have kids. Now, the Bible tells us that Sarah was beautiful, beautiful enough that people would notice. You gotta think that there were times that Abraham really liked that, but there are two times, I can't believe it happened twice. Twice in the Bible, Abraham meets a neighboring king, and the king's like, who you got over there in your group, in your family, in your clan? He's like, well, we got a bunch of different people. He's like, who's that over there? I like the shape of her. He's like, yeah, she's pretty good looking, right? And he's like, yeah. The king's like, yeah, who is that? He's like, my sister. And the king's like, well, if it's your sister, what are my chances? And you gotta think like Abraham was like, go for it. And then like later, the king would be like, why'd you tell me it was your sister? He's like, well, I thought you'd kill me. Now imagine Abraham and Sarah later. And Abraham's in the mood. He's like, hey, baby, what's up? And he's like, hey, brother. Like, that was awkward. <laughs> he did it twice. The craziest thing is I didn't even notice this till this week. Their son, Isaac, who comes along later, you think they're older parents, they're gonna figure this out. Their son, Isaac, did the exact same thing with his wife, and it was the same king. Can you imagine being that king? That king's like, is this that same family again? Now, are you telling me the truth? That's your sister. He's like, yeah, I promise. Just kidding. Like, that's jacked up. Now, Abraham, you know, fathers, it's not just spouses. It's not just, we have challenges, fathers and sons and so Abraham finally gets his son Isaac and then God goes, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, and Abraham's like, I never knew that was part of the process, but okay, and they're walking up. And imagine, Isaac starts to figure this out. Imagine the guilt and the pain and the challenges that Abraham felt. You think about Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. Think about that family. Dad loved Esau, but mom loved Jacob. So Jacob and mom come up with a plan to steal the birthright. It, it, it creates this problems, but Esau was a, was a hunter, a man's man. He was just like, I'm so hungry, I'll say whatever, yes to whatever. So he says yes, creates problems and challenges that ripple throughout the family. Sibling challenges, so real. Then you think about Jacob later in his life, comes along when it's time for him to get married. He's like, well, I'm gonna go over and find this family. It worked before for us. So he goes over and he's trying to find the right person and he, and he meets this family ancestor, Laban, who's like, oh, I promise I'll take care of you. I promise at the right time, I'll give you the perfect wife. He's like, ooh, I really like your daughter. So they come, he works for seven years, if you know the story. They come to the moment and on the wedding night, the father-in-law pulls a switcheroo and changes the, the sister on the wedding night. You talk about awkward Thanksgiving meal, and I don't get Jacob's reaction. He's kind of like, oh, pops, you got me. I guess I'll work seven more years for the other wife. I don't get any of that, but that's how the story goes. So there's lies and manipulations and challenges, and there's all kinds of deceit, and maybe you thought, well, that was only our family. No, it's in the Bible. And then you think of this pattern continuing down to Joseph. Many of you know the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph being the youngest. See, this favoritism thing didn't just stop with Jacob and his mom. It carried over into his family. The Bible says that Joseph was his favorite, the youngest. 
Problem is all the older brothers knew that. I don't know if anybody else in here is a younger brother. There are challenges, there are benefits to being a younger brother. You always get to tag along, you get to play sports with people who are older than you, that's you. But then you always kinda gotta fend for yourself with your mouth. I was one of those kind of guys. I can remember always popping off with my mouth. I was a little guy. And so as a little guy, that was the best asset I had was my mouth. So I'd go into my brother's group of friends and I'd just be like, you guys are lame, we rule, we dominate you. And then we'd get beaten. And so um, that's what happened to Jacob. His son, Joseph. Joseph goes, you know what? God gave me this powerful dream. And I'm gonna rule over all you jokers and you're gonna bow down to me. Surprise, surprise, they throw him in a pit comes back later and God works through that family. You're like, Jed, why are you telling us all these stories? Well, here's what I want you to see in this Bible pattern. The amazing thing is, through all these challenges and all these problems, you thought your family was alone. Here's the takeaway. God works miracles in families who trust him enough to forgive. God can work miracles in any family, no matter how many problems and challenges they face, when they trust him enough to forgive, which brings us back to Matthew chapter six. Now, Matthew chapter six is a famous passage of scripture. It's, it's uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest sermon. It's actually part of a, a, a passage of scripture you're probably familiar with. It's the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they're like, will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus is like, yes, I'm gonna teach you how to pray. And I think many of us, when we hear the Lord's Prayer, we think of it as, as a rote memorization. We think of it as something that we're supposed to recite word for word, but really, Bible scholars will tell you that it's not so much the exact words and rote memorization as he's giving you a categorical template like pray in your own life the categories. So it starts with, with our Father who are in heaven. There's a measure of worship. You worship him right? Hallowed be your name. Your name's holy. Then it's like, give us this day. There's provision. There's protection. And then look at verse 12, what he says. Maybe you've never noticed this before as it's tucked in. But remember, this is a prayer. But look at what he tells us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Notice he starts with forgive us. It's amazing how when we think about forgiveness, if you're a human being, your first thought is, but what about what they did? But, but if I forgive them, then I'll communicate to them that it's okay to treat me that way. They'll continue to treat me that way. The Bible doesn't say, once the other person solves it all, then think about maybe the possibility of forgiving them. The Bible says, forgive us first, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And look at what this says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may, you may be wondering, what does temptation have to do with forgiveness? Well, it has to do everything. The, the easiest way, the fastest way for you to become susceptible or, or, or very vulnerable to the lies of the enemy is for you to hold unforgiveness in your heart. As a pastor for 30 years, I can tell you that when people believe the lies, when, when, when they don't let go of what others have done to them, they become especially vulnerable to the enemy's strategy to isolate them and then to ultimately torment them until they're willing to go, you know what, I'm not carrying this unforgiveness with me any longer. Look at Jesus, he explains it a little further. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you, not, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now I know that's radical. 
This is a radical passage, and Jesus is trying to make a point here. Now, you might be wondering, Jed, are you saying, or is Jesus saying, that every time I hold unforgiveness, like if someone cuts me off or if someone does something to me and I don't forgive that person initially, that somehow my relationship with God is threatened or I'm out of relationship with God. Like if I die, my future is unclear. I'm not saying that, and Jesus isn't saying that. Remember, salvation is a gift that we receive. It's not something we earn. And because we don't earn it, we don't lose it when we genuinely have it. What Jesus is saying is there is a correlation. When someone understands the goodness of God that's been offered to them through the person of Jesus and what he did for them that they could never do themselves, one of the natural indicators that that person has received that is a willingness that comes out of their heart to forgive. It's a posture. It's a desire that just says, I, I may have difficulty, I may have challenges, I may have struggles, but my posture in my heart is to forgive. That's my starting place. God, because you forgave me, as the Bible says in Colossians 3, I forgive others. When a person understands how good and how loving and how great the kindness of God is when we didn't deserve it, when we were alienated and hostile and separated from God and in his goodness and in his mercy, not because we earned it or deserved it, he forgave us. When you understand that, that's the starting place to forgive others. Now, you're like, Jed, well, why would I do that? Well, first of all, Jesus commands it. But the second thing is, he knows that if you don't live that way, you can't receive the goodness he wants to bring into your life. Now, now I, I want you to think about this for a moment. Forgiveness from willpower will always break down. It'll always break down. And, and I was really, I gotta tell you, I was surprised as I was researching this week. The cultural narrative has shifted over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Culturally now, people are saying, well, it used to be the assumption that you know, to, to, to forgive is this great aspirational virtue. Now that's being debated. Now many people are saying, don't forgive. Forgiveness is empowering abusers and forgiveness is, is, is uh, legitimizing oppressors and there's this entire narrative that we should throw out the concept of forgiveness and nothing could be further from the biblical narrative. But when we use that word forgiveness, I wanna make sure you're hearing exactly what I'm saying. So let me tell you, what I don't mean, forgiveness is not excusing or denying wrongdoing. It's not saying when someone sins against you, it's not saying, well, what they did isn't really sin and they need to follow their heart and whatever's right to them is right. It's not that. See, we don't, we don't offer forgiveness for holding to a standard of righteousness. Forgiveness is not the admission that somehow you're excusing or denying wrongdoing. It's also not forgetting or avoiding. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, forgive and forget. Well, forgetting really isn't forgiving because if you just forgot it, you didn't really forgive. Forgive is like, no, no, I remember exactly what you did and it hurt me, but I'm choosing to let that go. Forgiveness is not something the other person earns or deserves. I think naturally in our mind, we think, well, they did this and if they do that, we, no. Jesus says, forgive. And then finally, forgiveness is not the immediate restoration of trust. Just because you forgive someone, it's not an invitation for them to continue to abuse you. You have to be wise. You have to create boundaries. You have to say, well, you know, if this person, every time they're in this situation, they hurt me, I'm gonna forgive them, but I'm not gonna give them the ability to continue to hurt me continuously because that's not what Jesus is asking you to do. So maybe you're wondering, okay, Jed, can you tell us exactly what it is? Well, I chose these words intentionally. Look at this. Forgiveness is the conscious choice. You have to choose it to give up your right. You do have a right 
to hold on to your offense, but forgiveness says, I'm giving up that right to make the other person pay because you trust God to make things right. Now, when we talk about that stranger who cuts you off that you're never gonna see again, when we talk about that person at work that you see occasionally, you, you may be realizing that's a lot different than that person who lives in your home, who you see every day, who you have a long track record with, which is why so many times forgiveness in a family is so much more difficult because forgiveness requires you to keep coming back over and over to that same well, which is why I'm telling you, your willpower, your, your kind intent, your thoughtfulness, your sentimentality is not enough for you to forgive consistently the people in your family. You need the supernatural power of God. But the good news is, all you have to do is ask, and he'll give you the power to forgive those in your home. It can't be coercive, it can't be forced. I, I don't know if as a parent you've ever done this. I was thinking about it, I, I think I might have done this last week for Mother's Day. So you ever prayed, but when you're praying for the family it turned into a preach prayer? I think I've done it so many times my kids know. So last week was Mother's Day, we made the moms at our home brunch. So my mom was there, my wife was there, we made a brunch and we were trying to make it powerful, so I'm praying, Jesus, we thank you for these moms, they're incredible moms. We thank you for these kids and their gratitude for these moms and they're gonna honor these moms and they're gonna clean up after this. And these moms aren't gonna have to do anything after the dishes. You know, after they, after they eat, they're gonna be able to relax and do what they want because these children are children of God and they understand your word. They're like, Dad, that wasn't a prayer. You just preached at us. I was like, well, hopefully you got the message, right? <laughs> See, it can't be coerced. You, really, as parents, we have to model this. We have to model this ability to, to, to forgive. I, I gotta tell you, you can see how your family's doing if you pay attention, right? So for me, one of the areas where I always know how my family's doing in the area of forgiveness is school pickup, because I have two sixth graders. In addition to the little toddler, I got one out of the home and she's married, and, and, and then I got one graduating, and then I got two sixth graders pray for me, and so when I pick them up at school pickup, uh, they, their personalities are different. They're both very talkative, so they get in the car. Dad. You'll never believe what Luke did. Now, as soon as I hear that from my daughter, Lila, I'd like to say he got an A on his test. He was kind to a kid at recess. That's not usually how it goes. It's usually, Dad, you'll never believe what Luke did, and it was something really bad. Now, their personalities are different. Lila is a rule follower. From the time she was two or three, she would stand up in the middle of her home and just intermittently yell out, everybody do what you're supposed to. That's not really Luke's strategy in life. Luke's strategy in life is carpe diem, live the moment. If it feels good, do it, right? Like that's how he rolls. And so there's constant conflict. And so Lila's a little bit like my undercover cop. She's kind of like a narc. Now sometimes she's borderline entrapment. She'll be like, Luke, would you like to skip school? He's like, that sounds awesome. Dad, Luke's trying to skip school, right? It's like, okay, good job, but scale it back just a little. Not too much, just a little, because he, he needs the help with the coaching, right? Like he's the kind that you never have to wonder where he is. He tells you exactly where he is. A couple weeks ago, my oldest son for graduation, I was taking him to this special concert, and it, and it happened to be my younger son's favorite artist, so he's walking around the house going, Dad, you're gonna have a great time at that concert. I was like, thank you, son, for being so nice. He's like, I'm not nice. He's like, you're taking the good son. And I'm just the terrible son. You'd never want to take me. And I'd be like, well, I'm definitely not taking you now. And um, 
but because we believe in forgiveness, he got to go. So here's the point. In your home, different personalities, different challenges, and it's always happening in real time, and you're always busy, and there's always a reason to push it off. But parents, let me just drop this in your mind. These relationships between siblings are so important. As a sibling who constantly fought with his brother, I didn't understand like I do now that if you want like I want, and I believe so many of you want, your kids to come back home when they're full grown and have kids of their own, how they love and serve and treat each other is so important. Siblings who know how to forgive and love and value each other wanna come back to the home to be with mom and dad. So I know you're busy and I know you have full schedules, but spend the energy to help your siblings, to help your kids love and serve each other because that's an investment that you will never, ever regret. Now, we're not just talking about siblings, we're not just talking about spouses, we're not just talking about parents with kids, I'm talking about in-laws, I'm talking about blended families, I'm talking about exes, I'm talking about, I'm talking about cousins and grandparents, whatever it is, I wanna go really practical for the next few moments and help us understand how this works in our family before I pray for you. How does forgiveness work in our family? Well, the first thing is we recognize forgiveness is a conviction, not a circumstance. It's a conviction, not a circumstance. Again, we don't wait for the right situation where a person meets all the right criteria to earn forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't give us a choice. If we're going to follow him, we're going to be people who forgive freely. Look what the Bible says, Luke 17, verse three. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, which means to correct them strongly, and if they repent, forgive them. Now, great news is Lila's got that one down. Verse four, if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now you might be thinking, well in our home that seven limit gets tested. Is it more than seven? Yes, the seven is figuratively. In another place Jesus said 70 times seven, meaning more than you can count. Here's the point. We should be people of forgiveness, not because of what the other person does, but because of what Jesus has done in our life. And we just choose, we just say, God, by faith I'm gonna forgive. Which brings us to the second point. We understand why forgiveness is so difficult. You might be like, Jed, okay, you convinced me. I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try this today. I wanna be a person who forgives in my family. But I want you to realize, I do understand it. It is very difficult, and understanding how you're wired will help you overcome the challenges. Here are just a few challenges that make forgiveness so difficult. The first one is, it takes a lot of emotional energy. You're busy, I'm busy, family life is busy. And when you're going from event to event and moment to moment and you've got plenty of stuff at work and you've got plenty of stuff with, with one part of the family and something happens, it's so easy to go, well, there's plenty of time, I'll deal with that later. And you think, man, I don't know if I have enough energy to have that conversation, which brings us to the second one is that we're, we're nervous about uncomfortable conversations and risky outcomes. It requires them. I wish I could tell you every time you sit down to have a conversation with someone in your family where forgiveness is required, that it's gonna go great. It doesn't always go great. It puts you in a place where you don't have control, where you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen. These outcomes, it could go really, really bad. Here's the third one. It's completely unnatural. 
There's nothing in us that goes, you know what I really wanna do? I wanna forgive someone. No, what's natural is I wanna make them pay for what they did. And so we have to overcome our flesh. We have to overcome that part of us. And then here's maybe the trickiest one of all. It takes away, look at this, the perception of control. So many times working with people, they're like, I wanna forgive Jed, but if I forgive, if I forgive, then they'll get away with it. If I forgive, then they'll think that it's okay. If I forgive, that they won't know how I feel about it. Trust me, they're not thinking about you. I can't tell you, the reason why I chose that word perception is you don't really have control. Most of the time in family challenges, you're mad, you're angry, you see that person, you give them the silent treatment, you're passive aggressive, you're, you're rude to them, you're extra. They weren't thinking about you the way that you were thinking about them. And you think if I hold on to this, it's the one way that I have to make sure that they know that what they did made me upset. It's a prison. It may make you feel partially good in the moment, but it's destructive and it doesn't just impact that relationship it impacts the other ones. So you have to come to a place where you realize, you know what, this isn't really controlling them, it's really only hurting me, which leads us to the third thing, we prepare practically for these moments. One of my favorite little verses as we talk about emotional health, especially in families, Romans 12, 18, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, I love that, it's not always possible, and you don't have control over the other person, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How many people? Everyone. As many as you possibly can. Live at peace with them. You're like, well that sounds so good, how does it work? I wanna make it really practical. So here's what you can control. If we're focusing on only what you can control, the first thing is this, remember, we started this whole thing in the Lord's Prayer. You have to pray and ask God for help. It's amazing if you just start there, I know that sounds like the most obvious thing ever. You know, like, well you're supposed to pray. Well yeah, and I mean actually really do it. Be like, Jesus, would you help me? So much of overcoming the pain and the hurt in our families really would be impacted if we just prayed for that person who hurt us. It's amazing how your heart changes when you pray for someone. It doesn't take away the pain, but it does help you to see them in a different way. Pray and ask God to help you, to give you strength. The second one is speak definitively only about your emotions and intentions. So many times when people sit down in a family to have this conversation, it quickly deteriorates into you always or you never, and when you said that, you really meant this, and we get all sideways. We're, we're completely out of what we can speak to. I, I would encourage you to stick back to this. Something, think along these lines. Like, I need to tell you, when you said this, it really hurt me. It really made me feel this way, because when, when you said this, here's what I thought you meant. Is that what you meant? Speak only to what you can speak to. Because here's the thing, a lot of times we interpret things as, 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 and we remember things that didn't really happen. It actually happens so much, there's a scientific term. It's called confabulation, which is just a fancy way to say you misremembered what happened. And in a family situation where, a moments are, where emotions are high, you can easily hear the person say something that they didn't even say, and you're reacting emotionally to something that never really happened, and it's injuring your relationship. And so you have to speak and say, here's what I was feeling. And sometimes it's really only a misunderstanding. And then the third one is you listen to hear and understand instead of reacting in your emotions. This is a hard one for me. I'm an emotional person as maybe you could tell. And so sometimes when I'm listening, I'm reacting. And it takes all of my energy and focus and internal prayer to be like, be calm, be calm, 
Don't react emotionally, especially with the kids. My tone can get really high and I can get intense and I can raise the volume of my voice, right? Like, because I was thinking about with my six-year-old son, it's like, there's a window. Like, from here to here, he doesn't think you're serious at all. And from here to here, he'll burst into tears. There's this tiny, tiny little window that dad's trying to hit where he knows I'm serious, but he doesn't take it personal. And dad doesn't always hit that window. And my tone gets too intense. And I have to apologize. I have to be, son, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, did you realize, I learned this this week, that teenagers are twice as likely to react to your tone as to the content of what you're actually saying. So as if parents, if we control our tone, if we get better, if we control how we're speaking to them, the ability for them to receive that message is so much better. These are just a few practical things you could do right now. But, but the thing I really want you to leave with is this, is yes, it's difficult, and yes, it's challenging, but you can do it. When you have those difficult conversations in a family, I, I found two things. And as somebody who's had many, many, many of these conversations, here's what I know to be true. God will meet you when you step out to do it. And the more you do it, the more willing you are to step out in faith and have those difficult conversations. I was thinking about you and praying for you this week, and I was like, how can I make this real for you? There's many different conversations I could have picked, but I thought about one in particular with my dad. Many of you may not uh, know my dad. I know some of you did. He, he, was a, he was an excited member of this church. He loved this spiritual family. He used to sit right there whenever I preached. And it wasn't always that kind of a relationship between my dad and I. We, we went through a lot of rocky moments. We, in some ways, we were similar. In some ways, we were very different. And there was a period of time when we first got married. I got married at 22. My wife was 20. And we didn't live in the same part of the country as either of our parents. And there was a season where, you know, we, we had our first child and they got so excited to be grandparents. And they wanted us to come visit and for a little while it was great and then it started to become stressful and challenging and, and his emotions were high and our emotions were high and it got to the point where it was like, I don't know if we could keep doing this. And then it came to the point where I know we can't keep doing this. So I felt God say, you gotta have an honest conversation with your dad. And I was like, I don't know how that's gonna turn out. So I tried to think and I was praying about it. And I was like, dad, I gotta talk to you because our relationship's not headed in a good direction. And so he's like, well, I don't, really, I don't know. And so I was like, well, let's go for a mountain bike ride. I know he liked to ride mountain bikes. So we went out for a ride and we started riding and he was high in his emotions. He, he could be like a bull in a china shop. He was so passionate and loved big, but man, he could say things that would hurt and I remember him saying, I'll never forget it. He said, there's no one in this world you can trust but your family. And I said, Dad, I know you've been hurt, but I don't believe that's true. And I'm not gonna live that way. And you can live that way, but I'm not gonna live that way. Because I have incredible relationships that are like spiritual family to me. And I'm, you're welcome to be a part of those, but I'm not gonna live by the way you're choosing to live. And so it was awkward and we started to ride some more and we came to a clearing spot. I, I realized he didn't know how to say what he was going through. He was trying. It didn't come out right, but he was trying. So he said, son, I do the best I can and I say the wrong thing. He said, I, I never once, my dad died when he was in his 50s. 
He never once told me that he loved me. I was a 35-year-old man when I found that out for the first time. And this, it didn't solve our relationship, but this new measure of compassion and grace entered our relationship. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. And, and he got better, and I got better, and I understood, and it wasn't perfect, but we made progress. We made more progress. We made more progress. By the end of our lives, we were great friends. None of that would have happened if we hadn't been willing in that first moment to put ourselves out there, to risk, to, 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 to spend a lot of emotional energy, not certain of what the outcome could be. That's not the only time I've had to do that. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your family challenge is, but I'm sure you probably have one. Whatever it is, I wanna encourage you, step out, be willing, obey Jesus. He'll meet you in that place. And who knows the miracles that could happen in your family. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. God, we can't talk about forgiveness without starting from a place that you forgave us when we'd done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Lord, if there's one person listening to me who didn't realize that, who, who hasn't received that forgiveness from Jesus, this could be your moment right where you're at. It's not about going to church services and how much Bible you know. Just in your heart say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you be my Jesus? Right there in your own words, just invite him in. He'll meet you in that place. Just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin and the way that I've hurt others and wronged you. Would you forgive me? And he'll do it in that place. For those of us who've prayed that prayer, maybe there's unforgiveness you're carrying around, especially if it's towards a family member. I know it's challenging and I know it's difficult, but what's waiting for you on the other side is healing and restoration and a greater measure of the goodness of God. God, I'm praying for every one of our families that we would be places of forgiveness and healing and restoration as we honor you and build the kinds of homes where your peace and your joy overflows, not because we're perfect, but because we're willing to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.